Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio. We're a podcast dedicated to uncovering the grit that make founders, entrepreneurs, and innovative thinkers tick in one of the most crucial industries on the planet, supply chain. To learn more, you can check us out at InsideTheFounderStudio.com. But for now, let's hand it to our host, Ryan Schreiber. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Inside the Founder Studio. I'm Ryan Schreiber. I uh, am super lucky. Um, I get to meet really fantastic people every day in my job. And today I'm joined by one of my personal favorites uh, that I've met over the last few years. Jill, don't don't act like you're surprised That's by so that. Nice. I you, but I tell you that all the time. I know. Uh, it's nice to hear still, though. Thank you. This is Jill Clifford, Thanks, president of Freight Plus. Um yeah, I mean, I just, I love your energy. I love your demeanor. I love how you approach things and think about things. And I'm really excited for um, my listeners, uh, the listeners of this podcast to get to know you a little bit more. So um, thanks for agreeing to do it and join me and share some of your insight. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself and your company uh, for, for everybody sure. who doesn't know you? Yeah, sure. So I'm Joe Clifford and I'm the president over here at Freight Plus. We are fully outsourced managed transportation service. Um, we help companies really bring visibility, best practices, uh, lots of data analytics as it relates to working with their transportation providers. I think the story of Freight Plus is a really cool one about how you got into managed trans. So mm-hmm. I certainly want to. I certainly want to be able to tell a little bit about that, and I'm sure, just given how long you've been there, it'll be a part of what comes up. Uh, in the journey. Uh, one of the other things I love about you is how you've listened to my podcast. And so, you know, a little yeah. bit about the structure and, and what we're going to talk about. So like, you know, I want to talk about the successes and that you've, you've, um, you've had and, and failures you've had in imposter syndrome. Cause I think we, we've had conversations a little bit about that in the past. Um, and I'm excited to dig into that more. You also have a really interesting background from, from what I know of you, even though you've been at Freight Plus for a long time, how you got into this role is really cool. So before we get into any of that, um, start by telling me a little bit about your background and and like kind of growing up. Where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? Yeah, sure. What was so it like? I grew up, it was a bit chaotic, but you know, fun chaos. <laughs> I grew up uh, in a town on the South Shore. Um, I have three brothers. I have two older brothers and a twin brother, actually. Um so you can imagine growing up with brothers, you know, I'm, I'm pretty strong-willed and strong-minded. Um, we were raised by a single mom uh, who worked her tail off. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of worrying, to be honest, at times about, I think we had, you know, we worried a lot about money. Uh, we didn't have a lot. Uh, so we really... We are really, you know, family first always for me, but I think because of the way I was raised in the environment I was raised in, um, we just have this bond that is, you know, it's unbreakable in some ways. And I think it's, you know, we didn't just rely on each other as siblings always. You know, there were times where we relied on, you know, I relied on my brother as a dad and my middle brother as a mother, if I needed to come to him with anything about boys or friends or, you know, so it's, it was interesting. And, it, and, you know, and honestly, even though we didn't have much and my mom worked really hard, um, we saw my dad, my parents were divorced. We saw my dad on Sundays and um, 
you know, I never felt, I never felt, um, I never suffered over it. You know, like we had a great childhood. We had great friends. I loved school. Um, I was really involved in things. So, you know, for as little as we had, if I look back now, you know, things were really tough at times. Um, you know, there was a time my mother didn't have a car and drove me to dancing school on her bicycle, right? Um, and I guess at the time, I just thought, well, this is fun. I get to go to dancing school on your bike. I didn't really put together that you couldn't afford a car. And that's why we didn't. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it was, um, it was, it was a really good childhood to be honest, considering the struggles we had. You know, it's funny. So for anybody who can't place the accent or hasn't met you, South Shore is Boston. <laughs> I, I'd imagine there are other South Shores, other places. Um, my dad, my mom and dad both came from very, um, very, very poor backgrounds, particularly my dad. My dad was mm-hmm. one of seven and, you know, his dad worked. The, the, the kind of like the patriarchal story of my dad's side of the family. My grandfather was born in Canada, uh, in Toronto area, moved to the U.S., obviously well before any, anybody was born. But the, like kind of a, he came in with enough money in his pocket to buy a broom and like worked, you know, his whole life. Yeah. And, and, and my dad now, like my dad's one of seven, in case I didn't say that a second ago, they've all been fairly successful, right? Like, I mean, not mm-hmm. as, as 99.9% of the universe would define successful from a career perspective. My grandfather still worked his whole life until he passed away, you know, maybe 20 something years ago. Um, but they've all always said, you know, the best part or the best thing that he ever gave them was nothing, you know, because all the things that you laid out, um, I mean, I've been blessed to have both my parents. And so like, I, I, I don't know the counterfactual, but the, you know, how close they all are, you know, they all grew up together and having to rely on each other. The oldest, you know, even to this day, they're also alive. Even to this day, the oldest brothers kind of like the dad still, you know, and the oldest sisters kind of like the mom still. Um, but, and they're all this tight knit kind of group. So I could certainly see that and, and understanding Something when about- they it's something about surviving together, right? And I think at the time we didn't know we were in survival mode, but we were, right? And I right. do think, and I, you know, you see it nowadays where we didn't ask for it anything because we knew we didn't have it, right? Mm-hmm. And so many families today, I think that don't necessarily have it, but their kids don't know it because they act as if they do. Yeah. Uh, and I think we were lucky that we grew up in a generation that it didn't matter what you had. It mattered who you were. You know, we weren't in school wishing we had the best clothes or the best shoes. Or And, and I do think there's a lot of that today. Um, and so for us, you know, I guess we just didn't realize. Um, and we all had jobs. You know, my twin and I worked in a restaurant before you could get working papers um, so we were, I think we were 11 or 12 and I was the salad girl and he was a dishwasher. And then, and it was awful work. His work was way worse than mine, but you know, what does a salad girl do? Just get the salad. So, you know, like you used to get a free salad with every meal, right? Totally. Was, you ordered a meal and it had, you got a salad. Now you have to buy a salad. But so I made all the salads for the, for the, oh, you would make them. I was thinking you yes, were like running them to the table. I was salad girl. Got well, I had like a little station in the kitchen and I made all the salads. I, was, I loved, I did really, I liked making money too. You know, I did like being self-supported. Um, we didn't I want to come back. I want to come back to that in a second. 
Um, I have to ask a question. I've never heard of what are working papers. Like that sounds like something in communist oh, Russia. Like, is that just a thing so in the you, Northeast? I don't think so. Maybe it is, but you have to, even today, if you want to get a job, like right now, I think the working age is 14 and a half. So you have to go to your school and they give you working papers and you have to file them and then you have to bring them to your employer. And now you even have to have like a, um, we didn't have to have this, but you had to, like my kids now, they all got jobs as soon as they could get working papers. I made them get jobs. And so you had to have like a physical from your primary care doctor. You had to fill out this form. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. So when we were like illegal workers. I, yeah. I mean, I just showed up and. My right. dad, it's like the company my dad works for, and they were just like, okay, it's the summer. We need warehouse workers. You're That's 14. Right. Yeah. I was 13 or 14, yeah. and I was like working in this warehouse and driving a forklift, by the way, which I 100% should not have been doing. I didn't do it yeah, often. I mean, that's just, just was dangerous. At it. Yeah, yeah, it was awful. Ryan at 14 on a forklift. I don't know. <laughs> Let me be honest with you. Ryan at 37 on a forklift. <laughs> One of my, you know what? I, I started thinking, uh, this is a really weird tangent, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, because I know you'll appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I started thinking totally differently around technology with one statistic. And it was um, some, some astronomically high number of people. So like 70% or 80%, but, but something well over 50% of people think they're above average drivers. And it totally changed the way that I thought about technology. Because number one, I said, you know what? Let me think about this. Because I think I'm an above average driver. Actually, I'm not. So I shouldn't be driving a forklift. I also probably shouldn't be driving a car, autonomous vehicles, et cetera, and so forth. But but to the same concept, like that that was that was just something that uh, that just blew my mind at the time. I'm like, this is this is the pro this is a problem. This is the problem. So I shouldn't have been driving a forklift then. I still should not be driving yeah. a forklift now. And you are right. A lot of people think they're really good drivers. Everyone thinks that everyone else on the road is the problem. Now, everyone mm -hmm. else on the road is also part Usually. of the problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean the reality is par as well. Yeah. Well, and and the other point is like par is not even that good. So like that's yeah. the problem. That that's a huge part of the problem. But um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we didn't have to do that back in Florida. You just, I guess, just showed up and worked, and I, I you know doubt. got. Whatever, whatever you got. And I, I found it interesting in this podcast so far. And I mean, I'm only what, seven or eight episodes in that most, mm -hmm. most folks started working like much younger than like really you're supposed to, regardless of the economic factors of your family, right? Like my, right. by the time I came around, my family was middle class. Like, I mean, certainly right. um, I, I grew up privileged, you know, I mean, we weren't, millionaires yeah. but like i grew up privileged like uh, realistically but i still had to work i still worked i still had to work i still had to get a job i liked having money i didn't right. need it kind of maybe um to the same extent you guys might have but um it's yeah it's an interesting that's an interesting thing um working working such a, at such a young age did, did you like you said you had to file with the school is it because you like missed school or was it just to no, make sure that everything's above board to report if you were working yeah and it was to Honestly, it was prevent companies like your dad for putting young kids in a warehouse on a clip. <laughs> let me you know? let me be honest with you. This oh, part of the call, blowing. this this might get cut because I don't know if somebody's going to get yeah. in trouble um, for the fact that I was ever on a forklift. I think I drove it one time. 
Okay. I don't want to oversell like that I was driving the forklift every day. And no but, one got hurt. That's all that matters. But I was, I mean, but I was working, you know, it's it's summer, it's Florida, mm-hmm. you know, it's a warehouse that's not air conditioned, you know, it's 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 I'm uh I'm like running around this warehouse lifting these, you know. And it wasn't that it was dangerous, but like it was I I would say that 90% of the reason that I decided I was li- not living in Florida for the rest of my life was that experience of working hard. in a warehouse yeah. in the summer. Yeah. Cause it was you, so you hot. Have known otherwise. No, totally. I, I, I wouldn't know. have, but this obviously isn't about me. This is supposed to be about you. <laughs> was it, um, uh, you, what do you, what do you think you, you know, so you, so you had this first job and the first job is always a really important question. Um, how, what, you said you liked having money. Like that was something that you enjoyed kind of about that experience. Um, looking back on it, do you remember, uh, do, do you remember like kind of why, how you got into that thing specifically and kind of what you took from it other than just having a job? Like did, did somebody tell you, Hey, Jill, you need to go get a job because you have to have it. Did you get it for, because you wanted something like, what was the experience around getting that yeah. first job given kind of your experience? Well, I just, we all knew, you know, there wasn't any extra money. So after the house bills were paid and the food was bought, that was really it. And so if you were going to, um, you know, go to a dance and you wanted a new outfit or, you know, I think proms and even going for your driver's license, all that costs money, right? Buying your first car. So all of those things, you know, and my mom probably would have given up more than she ever did to to get us those things. But I think we just fundamentally knew that she was she couldn't do it all on her own. And so for us, the job, we took this job at the restaurant because we could walk to it. Because <laughs> you know you can't drive at 12, right? So um so well, that was apparently unless it's a forklift, but yeah. Yeah. And then I had I kind of knew like in in the restaurant business, the goal was really to get to get in the dining room so you could start earning tips. Um, So being the salad girl, my customers were the waitresses and waiters. And so I thought if I can really show them how well I can do this, when I can get my working papers, then they'll have me in the dining room bussing tables, which is, you know, somebody leaves, you clean Mm -hmm. the tables at the table, and then they share tips with you. Um, so what I did was as being the salad girl, as I learned who the really good waitresses or waiters are because they were making the most tips and I got really good at taking care of them. So when it was my turn to be ready to get out of the dining room, I, I knew who I wanted to bust for, right? I want to clean the tables of, of Ryan and Sally because they're the best waiter and waitresses and they're making the most amount of tips. And if I work really hard for them, I'm going to make as much money as I can. And that's what I did. <laughs> and my brother stayed in the kitchen being the dishwasher, which probably wasn't the best choice. But um, he did eventually he did eventually um, promote. I, I think he was like ended up being in the pizza cook for a while. And and then he did some other things in the kitchen. But for me, the kitchen was not my thing. I, 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 <laughs> I worked at one of the, one of the jobs I had when I was, uh, like in high school, I worked for Boston market, Boston market for a while. And one shift yeah, yeah. I got one shift I had to do d- the dishwashing. It, I agree. Oh. It was the worst. I think my, I, I still remember job. my hands were all cut up, you know, at the end of the shift. And, um, I also, for whatever reason, I remember I always got, I always always had to clean out the, the roasters that you kind of like see behind the register. 
that was disgusting. Oh, I'll never forget how greasy. Gross. Yeah, it was yeah. gross. It was really gross. Um, that's it's interesting. Even in that story, I hear something that just reminds me of of kind of who you are today, which is how you kind mm-hmm. of thought about that journey from, okay, here's where I am right now. One thing you're very analytical, you're very insightful about how do you get where you want to go and service orientation and those kind of things. And it's like, I kind of even here now that was something that was a part of that, right? You said, okay, here's where I'm, I'm here right now. If my, my goal, I've identified what success looks like. Success in this instance looks like <laughs> making as much money out of this as I can. How do I get yeah. there? You put a plan in place and you execute it against that. Super interesting to hear you doing that at 12. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it was, it was a plan for sure. How, where does that come from? Well, I'm not going to lie either, t- to backtrack a little bit. Okay. I did like the uniform better that you got to wear in the dining room versus the sailor girl as well. Um, definitely. <laughs> and where does that come from? I don't know. You know, I definitely, you know, you could call it a character flaw and you could call it, I think it suits me well in many areas of my life. Um, but I I'm absolutely the ultimate people pleaser, right? Mm-hmm. And I have to keep that in check. Um, but I never kept it in check until I learned when it didn't suit me well, right? So it took mm-hmm. you know, the growth and struggle and learning self-awareness. Um, but I was absolutely, uh, and I still am today, a, a pretty big people pleaser. And so when you're in that environment, uh, and again, some environments, it works out really well, right? So I knew, and I was strategic about it um, because I wanted to make the most amount of money I could. But yeah, I think my people-pleasing skills and, you know, we, I think me and all my brothers have a really good work ethic. And if you look mm-hmm. at us, all four of us, you would say we've been successful. Um, and I don't think our our version of success has never been about money, but it really just doing something you love, um, having a lot of grit, uh, putting family first. It's, um, it's a pretty good recipe. Yeah. It's, a good recipe. it's interesting to hear you say that about a people, the people pleaser thing, um, and how that kind of factors into it. I, I, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about over the last couple years is how, you know, everything lives within, everything's a duality. Everything's one side mm-hmm. of, a, of a coin. And what makes you great in some senses and, and, and situations is absolutely your Achilles heel and other others. Do you remember the oh. show Clarissa Explains It All? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there, so there was an episode of Clarissa Explains It All where her parents <laughs> go out of town and she's like, oh, this is great. And I remember like, you know, she's going, I'm going to do whatever I want. She apparently, I remember her eating like a ton of ice cream and then she yeah. got super sick and she learned everything in moderation. Right. And, and it's a, it's a, um, it's a tale as old as time, but it's, you know, that's, it's kind of the same, it's the same idea. It's like, there, there are certain, it's not even, it, there's certain situations where that thing has really powerful results and there's others where it, where it can hold you back. How did you, you said, yeah, I was always a people pleaser until I learned that lesson. How did you learn that? I mean, how did you kind of like suss that out? If you will, you know, uh, this is really sad to say, and it's one of the things as a parent that I've been so mindful of is I don't think I gained any self-awareness until 35. Hmm. To, 
the, to the degree that I could live a full, genuine, authentic life, right? Because being a people pleaser, you're not oft, not often, but there are plenty of times that you're not being your true, authentic self, right? You're too concerned about how the other person feels, or you're too motivated by making them feel good and hoping they have a good result that you're not spending enough time on, well, what do I really think about that? Other mm -hmm. than wanting to do right and help people, what what to, what are my beliefs in these things? And I think I lost a little bit of that as a result of being such a people pleaser. And, you know, I'll say this and I don't, we don't have to, we could, we could do an episode about it, but I do think coming from divorce, whether it's a good situation or a bad situation, whether your parents should have been together or not together, whether them being divorced is the best version of your family. Um, it comes with some stuff that you carry no matter what. And, and it's textbook stuff, right? Um, you know, there's that abandonment thing because somebody, one parent leaves, one parent stays, right? And you're, and I think when you're, you know, when I grew up, things weren't discussed. So you were kind of making up decisions about things that you really didn't have the ability to make a decision about. So I think for me that, you know, coming from divorce, being the ultimate people pleaser, working really hard at things, um, it came with some challenges in my adult life, sure. And I think those challenges brought me to a level of kind of self-awareness. And, you know, I, to me, it's work you do every day. Was it, I totally agree with you. It's work, the, the kind of the self-improvement things work you do every day. I mean, if you're, mm -hmm. you know, you have to be really insightful and, and you have to think it's active. Like yeah. there are, there are things, there are things that happen, but to control the process and actually kind of make sure you get what you want out of it. Right. It's gotta be an active process. Otherwise it's luck. You know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, there have been one of one of the examples I use all the time, which you'll I think you'll appreciate because you like you know I like extreme examples. Yeah. Um, you can play Russian roulette every single day and not shoot yourself, but that doesn't yeah. mean it's a good choice. No. It, like, right? <laughs> like the the outcome doesn't the outcome does not necessarily tell you whether or not that like that, that's the problem with confirmation bias. Just right. because you were successful at achieving the result that you wanted doesn't mean that you, if you did the same thing again, you would get that result unless you're really insightful about it. Did you, yes. you know, so with that in mind, I mean, did you kind of, as you thought about, okay, growing up, you know, you, you developed for whatever reason, this people pleaser sort of mentality. And it was certainly like, it was a blessing and a curse in many ways. And to uh -huh. learn how to learn how to kind of, to, you know, eat the right amount of ice cream to carry on the Clarissa explains it all analogy. Um, yeah. and knowing how insightful you are as a person, did, I mean, was there a moment where you stepped back and said, wait a minute, I'm not who I want to be or who I should be. And then how did, if so, how did you go about saying, okay, I'm going to change this. I'm going to be the person that I want to be. Yeah. So again, for me, it was later, much later in life. It was after marriage, having children, uh, really recognizing that, this wasn't the right decision to be in this marriage, right? And so, and then, you know, my my kid's dad and I came from divorce. So we were never, ever, ever, ever gonna put our kids through divorce. And mm. so the 
fight for that, uh, the fight for that marriage that it, it we lost the battle, but boy, oh boy, did we fight hard. And through that, and it, and it was really my kids, honestly, that they didn't know it at the time. They were so little, but I saw very clearly that I was my true self being a mom. And then I was overcompensating and covering up for all this other stuff in my life that wasn't making me happy and wasn't fulfilling my needs. And, you know, um, and so it was really them, honestly, they don't know that, but, you know, coming to that and going they to will if they watch stuff. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, once you had the realization, how did you go about holding yourself accountable to, to changing and to being kind of like different and more authentic as yourself? I think that's every day. I do. I think that's every day. And I think, you know, I've always had a voice. I've never felt in my family that I couldn't speak up or I couldn't speak my mind. Um, it wasn't that, you know, normally people pleasers come from that where they, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, but for me, it wasn't that it was, I did, I, I still do today. I just have a true desire to help, to bring good, to bring joy. Um, and I've always had that. I've never not had it, but there were times Plenty of times that I did things that I didn't want to do and I did it for others. You know, just the overcommitting yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And then with that, I think I became, I'm a true empath at heart. So I think for me, the struggle for me with that has always been not taking it all on, right? So really, and it's a daily struggle working on, you know, Ryan's having a bad day and you went through a bad time. I'll take that home with me and feel terrible about it. And so it's that. Oh, I will too. Right. Yeah. And so because you don't want that, you don't, it's too heavy of a load to carry. Nobody should carry a load that heavy. Mm -hmm. What it's done is, you know, I've always been on kind of this personal development quest. Um, and then surround yourself with people that not even are just like minded, you know, again, going through that divorce for me was really hard. And I started attaching myself to folks that had the light and mm -hmm. had and didn't take on everyone else's stuff and didn't overcommit and, you know, really experienced a true authentic life. I, I sought those people out. You know, one of the things that happens when, as a, as a woman, when you get divorced is you kind of become part of a club and people are like, Oh, you're divorced. I'm divorced too. And Oh yeah. And, you know, and that usually isn't a positive experience. Right. And as, as tough as marriage was at the time for me, I wasn't that wife that was on the soccer field complaining about my husband. I just was never that person. And so when I did get divorced and I became part of this new group of people, they do spend a lot of time complaining. And I was like, oh, this is, I knew right away, like, this is not for me. And so how do I, how do I separate myself from this? Cause these women are hurting and they need help. And I kept getting sucked back into it, but it was really just finding people like you, right. That are happy, that are curious minded, that want to live a, no, but it's true. You do. Right. And so I'm happy now. I wasn't always, yeah, but I do right. because exactly the same experiences you're talking about. That's well, right. not the same experiences, but that same journey of like, yeah. I'm fucking miserable. What and right. why? Like, and, 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 and how isn't do I, everyone else around me? It's, it's up to me. I, I think, you know, what I heard in that, what I heard in that, especially as you talked about sort of like the, you know, the, 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 the clicks was that mm -hmm. solution, the solution orientation, like you, 
you know, okay. And, and, and in my experience with you, it's very true, but look, okay. So you get the job as the salad, the salad girl, which I think is probably the official job title, by the way, I don't see that on your link. I don't see that on your LinkedIn. So I'm going to need you to go ahead and add salad salad girl as your title, but, um, (laughs) is your job title there is the first job, but, um, Uh, but, but, you know, even then it was like, okay, I'm going to have a sort of a, even if it was just that you liked the outfit, like to your, Sure. Yeah. Right. You had, you know, you had another goal, but, but even if it was like, I like the outfit, I want to be in the dining room, that solution oriented mindset of, okay, how do I go get there? I mean, there are a lot of people, yeah. I talk a lot about retaining your agency and, and sort of like, there's, there's a tendency, I think of folks these days and I, you know, and it's not, this isn't like a kids these days shaking my fist. Cause I have no idea what it was like before I was around mm-hmm. as a human. But, but like right now, there's definitely a, a tendency for people in organizations to say, well, they won't let me do this or they won't let me do that. or, And, and it's like, you know, I, I, and so quickly just give up their own agency to some, some higher power that may or may not exist and, um, and then blame that higher power for the, like what they, not getting what they want. And my approach, I mean, has usually been just because I have a that type of personality. I've been like, fuck it. I mean, I'm going to ask for forgiveness later if I need to, but right. I'm just going to go do the thing. But to that point about finding moderation, like I've also had to learn, I can't always do that. Because if I do that all the time, I need to learn the line. Like there are things that somebody else needs to have some input on before I just make a decision. Right. But by the same token, they're not a gatekeeper to success, my success or my failure or whatever, because I always have options. It's not binary. I can go do something else or what have you. It is hard if though, because I say it all the time, like it, regardless of where you work and what you do or what your position is, or if you have a boss or you don't, or you, don't you are in business for yourself. Mm-hmm. You, it's like you're responsible for your medical care and you're responsible for your well-being. Um you are. And usually if you can come from that mindset and you do have some self-awareness, you'll have a lot of success. Have- I think that's easier for people who, are, you know, it's funny that most entrepreneurs or like, right, people who are on, who are start businesses. I always wanted to start. I was always entrepreneurial. I always wanted to start a business. And I say the same thing. And even though I think it's super douchey, but I say it. And I, I, and I think you didn't. Okay. You're the first person I've ever met that that said that, but, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I think in the, because I I actually, I've joked that I want to write a book about this because there are all these startup maxims, like Mm -hmm. be close to your users, um, as an example. And, uh, like think about your career as a startup for exactly what you're saying. Like be close to your users is about building a network, right? Like the close, you know, for startups, it's be close to your users. So you know what they're thinking about. You can deliver them value, et cetera. If you're thinking about that from your career perspective, it's, it's the idea of, okay, well, well, Sally and Ryan are the servers that are the best on the floor. And I want to make as much money as possible. So I'm going to figure out what they do. I'm going to figure out how to, first of all, ask them have them ask me to bust their tables and then I'm going to figure out how to do what they do. And then I'm going to figure out how to do it better. And I'm going to carry that on. And then I figured out the busiest nights at the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Chefs, Cause it's the same. Servers were doing that too. Yeah. No, no, no. I think I've always done that to some degree. I didn't know I was doing it. Um, And no, I did not set out to own a company. 
I know that I do, but I didn't. That's not what I set out to do. So let's take take it back there. So when you were so you 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 had a you said you danced. Was there other stuff that you, like what else did you do when you were a kid? You know, yeah, I think so to your was, point about your mother. Go ahead, go ahead. I was very active in a dancing school from the time I was three years old, um, and I never left that school until I was twenty five. So I went from you know growing up in this dancing school for me it was a whole it was another family right, um, and then from when I graduated high school, I started teaching there. So I started to student teaching and then I started teaching. Um, but I did that in through high school. I, I did the silly girl stuff. I was a cheerleader. I was on student council. My grades were terrible. Uh, my twin brother is, is just insanely intelligent. And so, you know, my dad would always put his report card on the fridge. Mine was always in the drawer. And <laughs> but wait, I do all these other things. <laughs> Intel. Let's be clear about this. Intelligence <laughs> and grades are two very different things. Yes. Because yeah. one of the things that I think is really interesting about you is you are one of the more intelligent and thoughtful and insightful people that I know. Really? And you didn't go to and you and you didn't go to college. I but did like, not go to college. and that's that's stigma. That's the same sort of idea of stigma around like if you like intelligence and grades are not. They're, they're, they're not the same thing. They're just no. not. So, no. so I thought that, you know, that that's an interesting observation that like, you know, you made about your brother, your brother is very intelligent. I also met your brother and he is very intelligent. Yes. You're not very less successful. so because you had worse grades. Well, and the thing is, I don't feel that way. And I honestly, I don't know why, but I didn't at the time. Um, I really didn't. I just thought, look at his thing is different than my thing. His thing is grades and, and he's really good. And don't get me wrong. Jason's really good at a bunch of things. Um, but in terms of the grades, he was 10 times better than me at grades. I, I was not good in school. And when how, I left, that, go ahead. How would you say, like, like, I want to just drill in on this point for a moment and I apologize for mm -hmm. interrupting you, but no, no, no. cause I think this is really important. And this is the first time this has come up on any of these podcasts. You, you just talked about his thing is his thing and my thing is my thing. So, mm -hmm. so much time and energy is devoted to, and this was a lot where my unhappiness came from and still does to the extent when I'm unhappy. Well, I'm not as successful as that person and their success as I've defined it, you know, is, 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 looks like grades, but I'm, but like my thing is actually over here. How did you, I don't think it's so much a question of how did you, how did you have the self-awareness to define what success actually is for you? Cause I think that's where the struggle for people comes in. It's not so much saying, well, grades is the definition of success. It, grades didn't actually matter to you is what I heard, right? Like these other things mattered to you. And so you define success in those things as opposed to fitting yourself against someone else's measure of success, right? How did you, how did, do, do you know that you had the self-awareness or how did you develop that self-awareness or do you have not, thoughts on how people can? I mean, at the time I had zero self-awareness of that. Uh, I really did. And I, I guess I didn't also worry about what other people had and I didn't. Um, I did in the workplace though. You know, I, mm. I like 
the silly salad girl trying to do better, right? But uh, and I've I've always been that way. I still I still have this crazy hard work ethic. I've mm-hmm. never been that way. Um, I've always been able to outwork a lot of people, and not because I saw it as a competition or a desire. I just always had such a desire to do good work. I wanted to feel good about the things I was doing. And mm-hmm. school was not anything I felt good about. I sucked at it. So I didn't feel great about school. And so I worked as hard as I could so I could pass, right? Because I wanted to graduate. I certainly didn't want to fail high school. Um, you know, and then I'm for college. Honestly, Ryan, at the time, my desire was to get married and be a stay-at-home mom. I didn't want to work. I saw my I mother- want to get married and be a stay-at-home dad. So I yeah. mean, I'm with you on that. I still want to do that. It's, I saw my mom kill herself to try to provide for four kids and work full time. And, you know, it it was not easy on her at all. Um, and so to say I strived to be successful in business or work, I, I didn't. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And when it came time for college, you know, at that point, my dad was going to help contribute to mine and my twin brother's college. My oldest brother paid his own way and my middle brother is actually a union electrician, smartest in the whole family. He's very successful doing doing electrical work, right? Uh, so again, our, our definition of success, I think, is different. But, you know, when it came time for college, my dad said, well, you know, it's time for college. What are you going to do? And I said, I'm not going to go. And he said, but I have some money put aside for you. And I said, well, it's a waste of money. I don't want to do that. Um, eventually, want to be a stay-at-home mom. So I think that would be a dumb thing to do. <laughs> But I needed to work, right? And I wasn't going to be, I didn't want to be full-time in a restaurant for sure. Um, For sure, meaning it's hard work and hard manual work. uh, And you don't make good money. When you're in high school, you do, right? You can buy your prom dress. and Yeah, right, right. For being a high school kid, yeah. You know, looking at at a full-time employment, you know, I graduated high school and now I'm an adult. What am I going to do? And yeah. it's so silly, but I got a job at a trucking company because one of my best friend's moms was the office manager. I think that, you know, one of the themes that I'm picking up on the stuff you're talking about that I really love is just this concept of like, like being your authentic self and living your authentic life. Yeah. It's it's kind of funny, this concept of college is coming up because uh, I was thinking about this earlier today. I had an episode where I recorded with Noam from Freight Friend who, who you uh-huh. met and um and he and I talk about, he, he brings up the concept of like, it is dumb that you go to college and we ask you to pick what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I was looking at, at, at the LinkedIn profile of one of the, the women that we uh, recently hired at Carrier Direct, um, who's on the engineering side of the house. And she like studied psychology in college. Like I studied history and then went to law school and I'm a freight broker. Like and what is you know it, it, it there there's this concept of like and 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 it's so expensive i have it, no debt from college which is great but i had like $200,000 of debt coming out of law school and i've never practiced a, a law in my life you know, know it's helped me along my way in a lot of respects but was it worth 200 grand i mean i would say yes for me specifically but but because only because i know where i am right now but i can tell you that like there were lots of times when it absolutely wasn't worth it. And for lots of my friends, it absolutely has not been worth it. That's insane. Yeah. It's I see my kids, you know, I have two in college right now and my daughter's a junior in high school. And um, 
you know, they thankfully think they know what they want to do. They have very specific choices in school. My oldest boy's in computer science. My middle boy wants finance. Um, and so they're very driven. And But I, I often wonder, uh-oh, if they change their mind, how are they going to handle it? <laughs> I'm like preparing for it because, you know, it is expensive and they are owning a big chunk of their college education. And so it, it's a lot more pressure now. You know, you're not going to college for five, six thousand a year anymore. Yeah, totally. See, if it's thirty five k, it's crazy. It's just well. Crazy. And the way I started thinking about it is um, because if I have all this loan, there's also the opportunity cost, right? Like law school right. cost me. Law school cost me two hundred thousand dollars, but also it cost me three years of working, which even if I was making thirty thousand dollars, is another hundred thousand dollars. And Right? And so like, then you talk about also kind of the difference in cash flow and what have you. And the funny thing is, you know, so that's what made me think about it is, you know, there's these folks, one of my best friends is like, he went to school for industrial engineering and he's also an engineer now programmer. And what it's, we're spending all this money on, ed, on, on, on education or college. And then people are just retraining themselves for whatever the job it is that they're going to have that's right. like engineers, et cetera. It's, it's, it's crazy and silly. And I think, so what you know? So so with that in mind, I mean, talking about pivoting, if you will, right? Yeah. What you thought you wanted to be? You took this job as a as a trucker, as a like you kind of in in trucking. Actually, let me take a step back even before I talk about that, because you did a lot of different stuff, and and you sort of said like you 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 said uh, you loved. Obviously, dance seems like it was an incredibly huge part of it. Even being a cheerleader, there's the dancing component component in there and you work i love did dancing you, i still do <laughs> did you have a that's i can't dance um uh but um that's not surprising i make the it's not surprising no you don't look I like a dancer oh uh, all right i appreciate i don't know i that is it because i'm fat no, like, um no 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 <laughs> it's nothing kidding. with physical looks some people you just they, they have it like you'd be like oh i can tell that guy can dance but, i mean i've got really great we're going to have to cut this part. I've got really great yeah. rhythm. I just, I just, I just, I think the problem is I over, I think if somebody taught me how to dance. Oh yes. Yeah. Like a dance, I could execute the dance. Or I think you like could the, just let go of all inhibitions. You'd probably be a good dancer. I think I would end up like Elaine from Seinfeld. Um, yeah, but some people think she's a great dancer. I don't think that that's true, <laughs> but this is the second podcast in a row that I've referenced that um, Elaine dancing. Um, so maybe I'll now keep this really in. Yeah, I'll keep yeah. no. Now I'll keep it in so I can use the GIF again. Um, did you have that? This is one of my like standard questions. Um, did you have that like Michael Jordan got cut from the high school basketball team moment? I mean, if you danced for that long and that much, I mean, was there like? Was there something that you really were, you know, striving for that you fell short of or failed or like you didn't get, you didn't get to dance the, you know, you didn't get the white swan or whatever in Swan Lake so or something? This, yeah. I mean, this is when I go back to the self-awareness because I didn't know it at the time, but um, growing up in that dancing school, for me, it was supplement family, right? It was, I just, I loved the environment. I loved to dance. Um, but the self-awareness thing, like it is one place where I would like look at girls and think, oh gosh, I wish I was like them, or I wish I had the family they had. And, you know, and what I didn't know at the time is I, I was the top two in the dance school, but I didn't even know it. <laughs> mm. I 
no idea. Like I kept winning things and being recognized, but I just, it never came on my radar. Um, and that goes back kind of to the self-worth, people pleasing, right? Um, but I don't, so for me, what I did is I loved it. I competed, I loved it. And then I started teaching and I really, really loved the teaching. Um, and so for me, I got to kind of stick with it, honestly, until I had my own family. Mm. Because, you know, I was working at the trucking company full time. I, um, and I was teaching dance at night and on the weekends. And then, you know, I get married and start getting ready to have a family. And now at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm here with Free Plus. But then I was like, okay, I have to give it up. But I was ready to, right? Because I was ready to take that time and energy and put it somewhere else. Mm. So. I don't, I never, I don't ever remember. The only, the only, only big failure in that in my life, and I was really bummed out, was, um, so I tried out for the Patriots cheerleaders, New England Patriots. And there were like 2,000 people that tried out and I got down to 100 and then I got down to 50 and then I got down to 25. And so the last part of the competition was, you were just competing against one person. And so they put you up on stage two at a time. Now I made it through all these people, all these interviews, and it, they drew, drew names out of a hat as to who you were gonna compete against. And I got put up against the last year's uh, captain of the uh. and I got cut. And I was so upset because I, I really did, for once in my life I had all this confidence and I was like, oh, I've got this. And if I didn't get picked with her, I would have been a New England Patriot cheerleader. But that was it. That was my only like big. And then maybe you'd be then maybe you'd be Jill Brady instead of Jill Clifford. Um, <laughs> Probably. But, uh, but, but I was uh, bummed out, and I missed my friend's wedding because of it. Because she was like, "You have to go." I'm like, "I know, I, I do. I have to go. I made it this far. I have to go." What made you not do it again? You know, what, what am I like? What if that was kind of like a thing? What made you say, "Okay, like." I know that I could have done this, but I'm going to move on and not try again. One of my really good friends from college, her goal was to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneers cheerleader. And she didn't, uh -huh. it took her, it took her like 10 years or so to actually to do it. And she make did the it. team. And she did it. And, yeah. you know, she, she loved it and it was everything, but like that, she stuck with it and kept after it. And yeah. I mean, she was probably, you know, and, and and it was after college, so she was probably in her mid thirties by the time she actually made the team. And uh -huh. you know, so um, and, I uh, I and I, maybe I didn't mm. want it as bad afterwards. I, I'm not sure, but I didn't. I don't know. You're like, I'm I'm yeah. just taking my ball and going home. Yeah, Screaming. that Tom Brady guy's not that good looking anyway. <laughs> so um, you know, which is true. My no. wife says he has a weird mouth, and I didn't see it for years until he was on the bucks this year. And I was like, watched him more often talk about stuff. And I'm like, he does have a weird mouth. I mean, in yeah, aggregate, I would take Tom Brady's mouth. Is weird. Yeah. How yeah, is, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. How he moves it. Yeah. And whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's real strange, but you know what? He got it brought a Super Bowl to Tampa. So I'm not mad about it. Um, yeah. uh, that's just my only kind of like connection. You know, everybody <laughs> at this point, if you bring up the Patriots, like everybody talks about Tom Brady, right? Is there anything else? How do you not? I guess it's better than Aaron Hernandez, but um, right. I mean, mm -hmm. certainly that's, that, that would that's not true. be what you want associated with, uh, with the Patriots. No. Um, so let's talk about your career a little bit. I mean, get, kind of yeah. what's, what's super interesting to me is, you know, you, you said, okay, I want to, I want to, uh, I just took the, I 
I got out of school. I got out of high school. I'm teaching on the side. Um, you can't really like, you know, you can't really pay for, you know, a life on waiting tables for most, unless you work at Gibson's or something. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, uh, or, uh, and so you, you start working at this trucking company and you, you have, I mean, ascended essentially, like, right. You said, Michael, I never thought I would, I wasn't kind of entrepreneurial. I never thought I would run a company. Your goal was to, was to do that for a little while and get your MRS degree, right. Is, and, and, mm -hmm. and be that stay at home. So what was that journey like? I mean, kind of take us through. Sure. Okay. You had this job at the trucking company. How did you end up at Freight Plus? And then, yeah. and then how did you, you know, kind of think about pivoting your life away from stay at home mom to, yep. I mean, freight fucking badass. It's crazy, right? Freight. Yeah. <laughs> so I started at the trucking company, literally answering the phones, uh, which I think is a great place. I wish people did answer phones today. We don't, but it's a great place to learn because you're getting calls all day long. And whether it's a driver or a customer, they usually have problems. They're not picking up the phone to tell you, thank you for being a great carrier. <laughs> Where the hell is my freight? Why isn't it here? Or it's here, it's missing some stuff, or it's here and it's dan you know, the whole thing, right? So right. I learned a lot about trucking quickly just from answering the phones. Um and again, this people pleaser desire to do good. I always, I've always wanted to be good at things, right? To do a good job and not to be recognized, but just to, to feel good about what I was doing. Um, and so I got really good at it. And I honestly, at the time, Ryan, so I ended up doing like every job at this trucking company and it was a Northeast regional carrier and they had a national sales rep um, who managed all the national accounts. Well, I ended up being, they created this position across the organization called the customer satisfaction supervisor. And so it was my job to take care of all the national accounts within our organization. If their freight hit my sales guys, I took care of all his, his national accounts. Um, so, you know, I was taking care of Reebok and Talbots and Morshoe, a bunch of big names in the Northeast. Um, that I don't think exists anymore, but yeah. No. Well, this is a great part of the story. So, um, and, and it, at the time, Freight Plus was called PMC Logistics. Well, they were one of my customers because the they were a national account based mm -hmm. on the freight our clients were shipping. And so I took care of their freight. And so it was pretty clear that the trucking company was going to close down. It was a bummer because it wasn't because of service or bad financial. We were part of a funding group and the funding group didn't do well with money. Long story short, they get shut down. So Tony says to me, Joe, um go over to overnight transportation which is now ups freight they're yep. open the terminal they need not anymore they're not ups freight anymore they just got nope. sold now they're right yeah and so i was working there for a little while but at the same time i knew if i'm going to work in in transportation now i know i like it right now i know i really like it and what i really liked about it again was just helping people solve problems but also learning so much about other industry like who knew you would know shit about shoes and then learn about food and then, you know, mining equipment. And I just, I saw that as really cool stuff you never thought about before. Right. And mm -hmm. as a kid, you know, you're in a store and you're like, wow, I know how that got here. And I know where it came from. Like it's, it's just cool stuff. Everyday people don't think about. 
So I was at the terminal uh, at overnight and I was helping open a terminal. So again, I'm doing everything, but I saw very clearly I was now I liked the idea of being successful in a business and I was having some success and getting promoted and getting raises. And for a while, this is what, you know, you call your imposter syndrome, but that whole self-worth thing for me was, you know, I didn't go to college and I was working with all these kinds of, I still do today. I'm probably the only one in the organization right now that did not go to college. One person and I hired him, but, um, but the reality is I thought I was just surrounded by people who weren't very bright. And that's why I was doing so well is because they were limited, but that really wasn't true. I was actually kind of a standout and I didn't know it. Um, and so I, I was interviewing and Reebok had created this position. The gentleman in Reebok had created this position to be the liaison between suppliers and the, and the transportation department at Reebok. And so Tony, again, he's my mentor. He called me and he's like, QTOF wants an interview for this position. You're perfect for it. And I did, and he gave me the job. And so at the same time, Tony says, go down to PMC and talk to Russ Aborn. He's, he said he needs someone. And I said, all right, I'm going to go down and talk to him. But he was kind of grumpy. Like I just remember, <laughs> I remember like working from and taking care of his freight and he wasn't very pleasant. And I said, all right, yeah, I'll go down and talk to him. So I went down and honestly, I did it for Tony. I was convinced I was going to Reebok. And so I walk in and Russ says, so Tony tells me you're the girl for the job. And I said, well, what's the job? He said, I have no idea. I thought, what? I said, well, what do you mean you don't know? He goes, I don't know. I know that I have customers who aren't completely happy with the service and I don't know why, and I need you to fix it. And I said, okay. And he said, do you want the job? And I said, well, can I think about it? And he kind of rolled his eyes and I said, I'll call you tomorrow. And he said, well, if you take the job, when can you start? And I said, well, I'm a rule follower. So I was like, you know, I, I got to give two weeks notice where I'm at. And he rolled his eyes again, like, you know, you're going to take this job, whether you like it or not kind of thing. And I left and I was, definitely intimidated, but really intrigued. And so what do you do when you're 22? I went home and I called my dad and my dad retired from Reebok at 52. At the time I thought, I'm sorry, not Reebok, from Procter & Gamble. He retired at 52. I thought he was old, but now, my gosh. And so yeah. of course he was like, Jill, you take the corporate job, you go to Reebok, you take the, heck, this guy Russ doesn't even know what you want him. He doesn't even know what he wants you to do. And I said, you know what, I know you're gonna be mad at me, but I think I'm gonna do it. And he's like, but why? And I said, I don't know, he, he has a problem. I'm really good at customer service. If I could figure it out, it'd be really fun to figure that out and actually have impact on this company that's struggling with keeping customers happy. I wanna try. And I know a lot about freight now, so I think I could have an impact. And he said, all Can right. Let me jump in there really quickly because what's what's interesting, this is something I want to drill in on. And part of the reason that this podcast exists is an exploration of this concept of risk. And you, there, a lot of people, my observation is that a lot of people think that success and failure is binary. And that either they succeed at all things or they fail at all things. But also that it's binary in the sense that they if they are successful, they get everything. And if they are a failure, they lose everything. Right. And the, mm -hmm. the only, the only corollary is if, if you are, if you fail at the thing, you will be homeless. You will be bankrupt for the rest of your life. Like you'll die alone and in a ditch somewhere, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. like, a, like alone. Yeah. 
you know, my observation about you is like you, you were sort of probably at this or, or as compared to most people, you were much closer to the line, right? That like you had no safety net at 22. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, so, so risk for you could have meant actually being homeless. It could have meant like giving up mm-hmm. the safe, easy path could have meant, could have had very real consequences very quickly. How did you, did you think about risk reward in that respect? And if, if so, how would you, if not, would you think about it differently today? No, I think what I learned at the trucking company about myself, I I knew I had like self-worth issues and I didn't go to college. Um, So I knew in my mind, I thought in, in order to, to catch up, I needed to catch up because I didn't have this learning And the only way for me to catch up was to ask a lot of questions. So I was always asking a lot of questions and I was never afraid to. I was never Mm -hmm. that person that thought I looked stupid if I didn't know something. I just always thought I was going to learn something if I asked a lot of questions. And I thought, honestly, I needed to. That was my learning. Um, And so making this decision, part of it was probably my people pleaser thing, like, oh, this this company has a real problem and I'd really like to help. <laughs> you know, there was this real need, mm-hmm. right? To the mm-hmm. success of this business, it was a small business. Um, and, and Russ, you know, founded that company, founded the company at his kitchen table. So it, it was part of him. Um, and the idea that I could maybe help bring a level of good service and some more success to that, to me was very rewarding versus, uh, you know, a good 401k plan at the time, you know, and good health benefits. Not that those things don't matter. They do. And I did think, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll figure something out. I didn't feel like it's, this doesn't work out. I'm screwed, which is a weird thing because I haven't had a job since <laughs> I've been in, you know, really the same You've been job. in a different job since you've had a job the whole time. Um, the entire time. Yeah. Like you, a different you, job. Right. You, I want to drill in on one thing you said about the feeling of the need to catch up. It's another thing, mm-hmm. like, I, um, I, you know, we talked about a couple of minutes ago, um, that I, like part, I, I, I haven't always been happy and I'm certainly not happy all the time now either, but, but one sure. of, you know, I, in my career, one of the things that I struggled with for a long time was this feeling of, of a need to catch up because, of the, you know, right. Cause I, I went to college and then I went to law school and then I, in the middle of the recession, I come out of law school, I can't get a job. Now I'm a freight broker making $30,000 a year. I need to catch up. And that was a, that pressure made me really miserable. And I only put it on myself. And when I left my last company and I was, was resolute on figuring out what I needed to do, what, would what where my where I was going to be best suited? I taught I, I I went through this process where I just talked to everyone I could think of. Mm-hmm. Literally, I had these conversations that I'm having on this podcast with everybody I could think of, and I talked to a guy who was who who shared uh, in the office space with us, who was in his mid fifties and ran a um, like a digital marketing agency, 
Okay. And he talked about feeling like he needed to catch up when he was younger. And I was, it blew, mm-hmm. I, like, I, that's when I knew I was doing the right thing. That's when I knew I was working the right process. Cause I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. How did you deal with that? How did you deal with that? How did you get past that? How did you get over that? And it really transformed sort of th- that whole process. And that conversation will stick with me for the rest of my life. How did you deal with that? How did you deal with this feeling? Like you said, ask a lot of questions and that's a process or anything, but like, how, how did you kind of deal with the pressure that you might feel of like being behind and that imposter syndrome of like, I didn't go to school. These people went to school. And then do you still, do you still struggle with that or deal with that at all? Do you still feel behind at all? I do. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, if you or I, so let's say we were the same age and, or you've now come out of college with your law degree and we're both working at that same freight brokerage. And let's say I was there five years and you came in with your law degree and started at that freight brokerage, I would want to be getting caught up to you. I would be sitting next to you thinking exactly what you were thinking of me, which is there is no way I'm ever going to be as smart as Ryan. He has a law degree. Are you kidding me? Right. And and I do think and you've been it, me and I'm really not that smart. So like, that's something that we got out of the way pretty quickly, but go but ahead. It, is, it, it really is perception. And I do remember at one point um, saying to me, you know, cause here's the other thing that happens is, and I don't, I don't really want to get into like the woman in the trucking. Cause I don't see it that way. You know, this whole mm-hmm. like women, whatever. I, 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 I've never, um, I've never been that person that, if I'm doing business with someone and they 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 would prefer I not be at the table, I just don't care. And I don't mean that in a fresh way. I I I don't. That is on that person and that is not on me. And it's my job to do the best job I can for my customers. And mm-hmm. if they're okay with that, then that's I don't I just don't let that own me. I just mm-hmm. don't. But the college thing I did let own me. I did. And it definitely was a problem in that kind of what would happen is the old school truck salesmen would come in and then sit around the table. And if I was at the table, they wouldn't maybe try to strike up a conversation with me. They'd want it. They wouldn't talk about sports because they didn't think I probably wanted to talk about that. So I got a lot of, well, Jill, where did you graduate college? A lot. It was always like the, the icebreaker question, right? And so there was a while I felt like I remember saying to Russ, like, this just punched me in the face every day. I got to figure out a new icebreaker. Like, I've got to come in with a question. Because <laughs> every time someone says, well, where'd you graduate college? I, I do. I feel like not that I wanted to sink in my seat or anything, but it was a little ping. Like, oh, I didn't. I started working at a trucking company and that's how I got my experience. Right. Um, and I remember at Russ at one point saying, all right, can we just make up a college? Nobody's going to look. <laughs> You know, the fact that this question gets asked and you think about it after the fact is just silly. So if it really bothers you that much, just make up a college. And in my head, I'm thinking, I would never do that. I would never tell a lie. But that's how silly the feeling of feeling less than is, right? And I think that was the example he was trying mm. to give me. This is just silly. Why are you, why are you even concerned with that? Um, and for me, I think it, it was a bit of the turnaround. And... You know, I was surrounded by smart people, college educated, and I was still thriving and doing well um, and, and collaborating and bringing something to the table. Um, 
And I think that I've always recognized of myself, you know, and there are some, there are some things that I'll just never be great at. And I think I spent a lot of my career trying to do things I wasn't good at to get better at them. And I will tell you over the last five years, what I've, what I've learned about for me anyway, what works best for me is if I continue to do what I'm really good at. And it doesn't mean pigeonholing myself, but what ends up happening is the things you're really good at are the things you really enjoy. And so Sometimes. then, right? So then you're doing, for me, the things I'm good at are things I really enjoy. And so then I'm doing the work that I really enjoy. And I, and I don't know how to equate it. Like you think about, you know, I my son is very passionate about guitar and he's always been a guitar player from the time he was born, probably. Mm-hmm. He just, that's his thing. And I always say to him, you know, and my other kids have their other passions. And I always say to them, that thing you have, that feeling you get when you're doing that thing, seek that feeling out. You can find it in other things. You just have to be open to explore. And how cool would it be is if you found that thing in the work that you're going to do? Because, you know, let's face it, you're all going to have to work full time. So find something that gives you a piece of that feeling you get when you're playing that guitar or you're doing that, you know, making makeup or, you know, whatever it is they're passionate about. Um, And I think by default, I did that. I didn't know it at the time, but I always knew I was pretty intuitive. I knew I had a lot of empathy and I knew I was a people pleaser. So I could really take care of people Mm -hmm. and about doing that work. And I just found my way in freight with that. It, what's interesting, I, I, do, do you think that finding that is just about openness, like being willing to try things and see what happens and being open to the experiences? Is that like the kind of the key to finding that? Is that how you found it? I think so. And I also think I wasn't afraid to screw up. So meaning, you know, you always hear like afraid to fail, afraid to fail. I, because I had these self-worth issues, I kind of always didn't feel like I was a full, full on success. Right. So, so you didn't have that way to go. You didn't have that far to drop kind of thing. Yeah, right. And I didn't worry about asking too many questions and I didn't worry about saying I didn't know something. And I also didn't worry about trying things. And so because of that, I failed a lot. And I think when you fail a lot, what you learn really fast is it's part of success. You will not be successful if you don't fail in my mind, period. You know, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone in and, you know, and said to Russ, you know, I think I'm going to do this optimization program. Here's what I'm going to do. We get all this freight moving in all these lanes. And here's what I think about it. And I would dissect the whole thing. And he'd be like, you should try that. And I'm like, I'm going to try that. And he's like, all right, tell me how it goes. And I, and I wouldn't be paying attention to him because I was so passionate about yeah, the sure, right. Work, right? And I go and I do it. And the thing would just feel miserably. I would what was I thinking? I didn't think the team driver solution and oh my gosh. And that, you know, this is customer target delivery. Like this was never going to work. And I would go back in and I'm like, well, it didn't work. And he looked at me and I'm like, well, you knew that, didn't you? And he's like, oh, I totally knew that wasn't going to work. You needed to know it wasn't going to work. I wasn't going to yeah. convince you. You had and, to touch the hot stove if you're familiar with that analogy, that's right. right? Yeah. And I hope that we continue with that culture here, which is, you know, what Russ did that day when he said, when I said, what's the job? And he said, I don't know. I just know I have customers who aren't fully happy with the service is he said, here's the ball. And if you want the ball, go run with the ball. Right. And as long as your mission is to provide good customer service and you're coming from doing good and doing right, 
you can fail all you want mm-hmm. because you're be successful and we're not going to be successful if we don't learn and grow as an organization. Like there and are think- three. Si- Sorry, finish. Go ahead. No, no, I, I, I think, think that's what we've done. I think there are three scenarios. You know, there's your, you, you know, you're going to fuck it up. Yeah. You know, you're not going to fuck it up and you think you're not sure if you're going to fuck it up. Yeah. And, and I, right. Like, like, and I think that when people are insightful about the chances that they're taking, like you can take risks that are measured, right? Like mm-hmm. if you were going to go do the optimization project and it might've cost you your biggest customer, I'm certain that without even knowing him, cause I've never actually spoken to him without knowing Russ Abor, I'm sure he would have said, Hey Jill, let's not do that. Like let's try it a different way this time. But, right. but, you know, those other, the, you know, the second two, like, you know, you're not, you're sure you aren't going to fuck it up. That's the easy, that's the like, Hey, I'm, I'm a great dancer, you know, and I can, I've done this a hundred times before, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and then, then, then there's those middle things really, that's the hard one of like, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And it's about finding the And so like, you know, kind of what you just described with, with Russ, it's like, find the situations where you can try it a little safely. Like, you know, right. or, but, but, but try so that you can put it into one of those buckets of whether or and not. Here's what would happen is you, because he knew I would own it. If I screwed it up, I would, I'd be the first to say I screwed mm-hmm. this up. Never that person that, well, Ryan did it. If I told Ryan, to, right? Like yeah, that just right. would be, um, and I had the ability. So, and what would happen is, because I would, I, my mind was always racing about doing well and doing better and doing more and driving more benefits for the client. I would bring that failure to the client and say, "I just want to let you know, I tried this thing with you. <laughs> here's what I did, and here's how I thought about it, and here's why it didn't work." And and I, and you're building value and trusted relationships through those failures. Because it's so true. Wow, cool. You're really looking out for us. You're not just looking at going to get the best rate. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. And that's not service in my mind. It isn't. That's being a a buyer of something and a reseller of something else. I'm talking about true service. And it's why we are a managed service is how can we do this with, with you and the carrier of mind in the best possible solution. And that's going, going to mean trying some things that might fall apart, but heck, we're going to try them. And we're it's going to mean continuous improvement. It's going to yes. mean tr- yes. working on it over time and trying yes. things. It's never done. And I think, you know, it's funny you say the thing about building trust in clients because, you know, uh, uh, we see this all the time. Um, with like our junior folks at Carrier Direct is, and, mm-hmm. and when I look back on my career, I identified in different ways that, you know, it's not about having all the answers and it's not about, um, and it's not about, you know, not ever making a mistake. It's right. about like, as people tend to think that they have to have all the answers to get credibility. They have to have all the yeah. answers so that people think they're the authority. They have to not ever make a mistake because if they do, then the customer or whomever is going to think that they're just, uh, you know, a fuck all, but it's not, that's not the issue, right? At, at its core, you, you show, my dad used to say, 
you know, like show, don't tell, like, don't, you know, don't tell me what you're going to do. Like show me right. your good word. Act. He would say, he didn't say show, don't tell. That was a, that was an English teacher I had. Yeah. He would say actions speak louder than words. Actions yeah. speak louder I would than always words, just right? say, if you, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Right. But I or, think what happens if you mess or if you fail, at least like come back and say I it was it. me. Totally. Yeah. That was hard for me, Candid. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, know, like, just, it, it, it comes, it comes from the idea of, of, of being, being vulnerable. Like it takes a lot of vulnerability to be willing to say like, I was wrong, but, but the reason, the reason it was important to me is because I, I am a very curious person and I had to get right. to the point where like, I said, but I'm all, and I'm also like very, very self-critical. And mm -hmm. so if, you know, you certain things where there were certain, I mean, I, not with everything, but certainly there were certain things where, um, where, where I would want to blame somebody else. And I had to sort of like, I've had to be like, I, you don't learn from something when you don't. Look. No, yeah. Yeah. And I definitely over apologize. There's, I you know, I still can catch myself today apologizing for something that I don't need to apologize for. Um, but here's what I learned also about this. And I learned this early on. And I think it's why uh, part of the reason why we've been so successful. I mean, we took this 30 year consulting company and built a new business around it. Right. So in some ways we're this 30 year old startup, but when you come when you come at it that way, meaning I, we bring all these ideas and we're constantly looking for better ways to do things, not just negotiate freight costs and, and, you know, not just buy tech, but how to use it, how to grow it, how to make sense of it. And you bring these things to your clients, right? They know at the end of the day, regardless of your technology and your expertise, that you have their back. Mm -hmm. And so don't, it takes client engagement to a new level. And I can tell you today, the clients we've lost are for two reasons. One is they get acquired and they fold themselves into a bigger program mm -hmm. or two is we've fired them because they're not good people. Yeah. And, and they, they, they want to give you a broken environment. They don't want you to fix it. They won't allow you to fix it because of their ego or their control, right? But then they want to blame you for it. And they so, want to hold you accountable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's only happened a couple of times, but, you know, I've had to say, I'm so sorry. We're not going to work for you anymore. And, you know, I, I'll never forget this one conversation. It's like, you can't fire me. And I but, but the reality is we can. And I have people yeah. who come here every day that don't want to be here because of you and your culture. And what you bring to the table, and I'm I'm just not willing to do that. But I, I find think it, yeah, to own it and to really come at it with all of your heart and all of your head to try to do good, it's going to pay back in tenfold. It just is. That's the thing I think that getting a little bit older has has kind of just given me perspective on is like timelines. I mean, I I feel like <laughs> I certainly feel like I want to catch up, and I certainly. You know, I feel like I uh, could always be doing more, and and that's that self-critical part of me. Yeah. But but kind of just looking back and saying, well, like I'm, all, I still also got a lot of time to figure that out. You know, and I, I look, I mean, I'd love to be a billionaire by the time I'm forty and be able to retire and do whatever I want or whatever. 
I wouldn't yes. retire at a billion, you know, I, I, but, but, but by the same token, it's like, I'm also, you know, very being curious and similar to you, like liking problems mm-hmm. to solve. I got some time to do those things or figure them out. And like, let's, let's take the pressure off a little bit of, of, of the, of like the nowness of solving all those problems and the immediacy with which if you work the process, I, I, I've started thinking about the concept of, of setting smaller goals. Dream smaller Mm -hmm. is kind of like the phrase that I've been playing around with in my head Hmm. is, and that doesn't mean in aggregate dream smaller. Like it doesn't mean don't shoot for the moon broadly, but it does mean for people like me, and I don't know that this is true of every human. There are certain things I think are immutable about humans. This I don't think is necessarily one of them. Dream smaller in that, like dream in ways that you can, that are much more here and tangible that, that you can focus on and, and drive toward that thing, right? Like the inputs, focus on the inputs to the thing, you know, if you will, like, I'd love to lose yeah, weight, you know, but I never do. You know, you're just putting deadlines on things. So you have a big dream and then you, you have to establish some small milestones to make it. That's reality. kind of the myth. Yeah, totally. So and that, a, that's they say a dream is a goal with a, a, without a deadline. Right. So something like that. There's something to it. I like it. If you have a big, a big dream or goal you want to hit, you certainly have to break that down into some fundamental steps, but then get excited about those steps, which is what you're talking about. So making that big dream, a bunch of mini dreams, right? Because you know what the end game is going to be if you do. Well, like even, you know, like, so, so even, even, you know, in my, and I'm making this a little bit about me and, 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 and I apologize about that, but I'm going to do it anyway, because it's my podcast and you agree to come on. So, you know, like as an example, like I've always been overweight almost my whole life. Right. And, 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 and I'm, I'm about 280 pounds. And, and so I'll, I'll get into these cycles where it's like, all right, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to do whatever. And, and I start like working out a little bit and doing this and that. And then, and then I immediately go to, because I'm really ambitious, right? All the things that we've talked about, I'm going to run a marathon. I can, I can't run 10 feet, Jill. How am I yeah, going to so run a fucking see, marathon? You say you're set so, up to fail. And, and so it's like, you know, and I, and so I like your, you know, your point about, about like sort of smaller or, 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 or like goals along the way. Right. I've started thinking about focusing just on inputs and then putting the goal super close. So like, for instance, I'm not even going to say I'm going to run a 5k. I'm going to say, I'm going to work at, I'm going to, I'm going to do some cardiovascular exercise of at least 35 minutes every single day for a month. And then success looks like, and then define success as we talked about earlier. Great. Set out and define six in that instance, success just looks like completion. Do that right. thing and get there. Mm-hmm. Then set your next goal. Like, okay, okay, now I'm in a place where it's reasonable to even think about a timeline for being able to get to a 5K. Because I don't know. I have no but, I could I could right, run a 5K. Here's the thing. I could be wrong too, but you may think um overweight, because I do this to myself. I'm overweight, and so I can't stick with the eating right and doing this exercise I want to do, so I don't have discipline. But the reality is you're very disciplined. And so now you're just putting a process on getting to the end game, right? 
and it doesn't speak to your lack of discipline. It speaks to your lack of being prepared and, and, and preparedness totally. to do, right? So instead of having all that head trash of, you know, I'm undisciplined, it's actually not true, right? So if you know yeah. that you're you kind of identify what you need to do with your work day to get stuff done and maybe you write it down and maybe you write your top three priorities or you know you have a system right but for these other things especially I think when it comes to self-care we don't attack self-care like we do other parts of our life right so true you probably take way better care of your wife your animals and your job and the people you work with before you take that self-care on you don't right? act like you haven't met our cats. Come on. I mean, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but but you're right. For all those yeah, other animal lovers out there. Right? Or, or your clients, right? I mean, to your point, right? Like I, I have said for what's crystallized in my mind recently, but that I've, you know, that I've said for uh, the how is crystallized in my mind. But for years I've said, look, if I treated myself and, and losing weight the same way that I treat my business and my clients, my whole life would be different, right? Because I because it's where mm -hmm. I place the value and and what I kind of see value in. Um, yeah. so I, uh, I I I think that's an incredible it's an incredible lesson. I think you've talked a bunch about that, like kind of that process orientation, that focus. When you know, when did you say to yourself, okay, you know, I'm I'm gonna. I'm going to kick that like housewife dream to the curb and I'm going to, and I'm going to go after, you know, being this industry Titan that you've become, even if it's, even if not a lot of people know it yet in your mind. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and, and um, well, I know it and that's important to me. Uh, and, and, and put that, put that aside. And then, and then, you know, kind of, was it just like smooth? It's, was it just smooth sailing or like, you know, where no. were some of the setbacks that you didn't see coming? No, I think, so to answer your first question, when did I decide like I was going to be a person and build something meaningful and do really good work really was the day that Russ gave me the ball that he said, I have this problem and I want to, you know, you know, clearly desire to have this company and do well at it and have this problem he couldn't solve. And then to take the ball and figure it out, um, to really figure it out and to see success of that. Right. But then also, you know, I know you've met Steve now. He's a great friend too. Um, you know, I think, so Steve and I own Freight Plus, and I think, you know, really his desire to get really good at this and coming from his background, right, which is, you know, very, very competitive in sports, very, very good athlete, you know, went, left Harvard and went to Amazon and got in this in supply chain program, but, you know, you could... Steve could go and be successful anywhere. He is a bit of a so, so could you. And that's what I like about the two of y'all. But yes. I just, but I think the combination of our desire to get really good at the work we do and take really good care, not just of clients, but of carriers, to take mm -hmm. care of 
industry. Um, you know, there's a desire there. Not that, you know, you're going to run the freight world, but I do, you, you see a lot of things that happen in this industry that people aren't doing things the right way or the way they should, or they're not, they don't have the service of mind or, you know, and, and I think as industry leaders, as you call us, which is people who've just been around for a really long time and have more experiences, it, it is up to us to share those experiences. Um, Cause this is a fantastic industry and there's so much, if you're a curious mind person and, and you want to, learn something and be passionate about something, man, you can bite your teeth into freight. You really can. Uh, there's so many layers to it, right? Um, and so I think for me, yeah, I, I became the, the woman who wants to build a company the day I started here. What were some challenges that you didn't see coming along the way? Well, a lot. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think that there are there are daily challenges, you know, I think um, hiring, hiring, I think in my mind, I don't know what others would say, but hiring for me is still my biggest challenge. I find that it's really hard to do. Um, I, I find, I, you know, I think culture here has been easy, but finding the fit to the culture is hard. Um, hmm. I think in terms of like through the career challenges, again, I, I do see failure as success. So I don't think I went through the pain of, a, of fails, maybe like other folks do. Um, I'm not a super patient person, which means I probably don't hold that failure for too long. I just keep moving and moving. And one thing this industry allows you to do is, you know, really move, move, move and move fast. Um, so, you know, the times are challenging. Um, the the industry is challenging, but I think that's always been true, right? So this challenge of this pandemic and what it's done to the industry and the industry is a mess and, and it is true, but there were times before that the industry was a mess and it was the worst we've ever seen it. And this is worse than that, but it was still at that time a big challenge and the worst we've ever seen it. And so I guess I just, um, for me, for me, the, the ultimate goal is to really make sure that our service drives value every single day and that our customers see it and that they're engaged and they want it, right? They want to do mm -hmm. good. They want to take care of their carriers. They want to understand how to run a best practice as it relates to supply chain. Um, and that's challenging in and of itself. I don't know, what was yours? What would you say is your? What would I say is my challenges that I didn't see coming? Yeah. Well, uh, I didn't know that you were gonna be interviewing me. Um, <laughs> I, no, because I'm having a hard time answering it. I feel like it's all we're in a challenging industry, so it's a challenge every day. Um, and I think because I uh, now have had that self awareness, I know where my shortcomings are. So I just know those things I have to work on every day. Which I guess is I a think challenge. I didn't. In, I think I didn't anticipate how different. 
I mean, I still have a long way to go in my journey. And so it's really hard to say what success would look like, but I think you are sort of paint, you know, painted a picture, I think is a person based on your background and based on your, your family and based on whatever it might be that this is what success is, right? Success. and, Mm -hmm. and, And you, you have that picture, you know, I think what I underestimated was how different success was from what I anticipated. You know, when I was in, I did go to college and when I was in college, you know, for me, um, or I was president of my fraternity because, and I was, by the way, awful at it. It's terrible. (laughs) And, you know, and, but I did it because I got a le- I got a le- there were parts of it that I was great at, but but in aggregate, I was awful at it. And you know, and 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 uh, but I did it because it's what you're supposed to do as a leader, right? Like you're a leader, right. you're like an you know you're you're supposed to strive for more. and I, and I am ambitious, but like, but it wasn't that it wasn't I didn't want I didn't actually want the job. I wanted to know that I could get the job, if you will, right? And yeah, in my career, I've done things that I was you you said earlier, like, oh, you tend to like the things you're good at. Like I, I there are plenty of things that I'm really great at that I actually let me rephrase, restate that. I'm terrible at almost everything. There's a small <laughs> subset of things true. that I'm really it is true. It's a small, there's a small subset of things that I'm really great at. And of that subset of small things that I'm really great at, I had a conception previously, I suppose that like, those are all the things that you should do. And Mm -hmm. you are doing yourself a disservice if you do not do all of those things. Mm -hmm. However, many of those things make me super miserable. And I think that, (laughs) and I think that I, I, So I underestimated that. Like I underestimated that challenge. And I think that other than that, what I've realized is that, and we talked about agency earlier. If Mm -hmm. you, I don't remember if we did that before we started recording or not, but so hopefully it's still in the, hopefully it's in the recording, but we talked about agency. And I think if you keep, if you retain your agency and you just attack whatever it is that you want, uh, once you, once you identify it and define it, cause I think that was also a challenge, like really understanding that, like I said, mm-hmm. and then once you go, once you go after it, 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 the rest of it's pretty easy. Like, and granted, like I have a lot of privilege in my life. I have, you know, like I have a great safety net. Like I'm never going to have to worry about being homeless, you know, right? Like yeah. I, those are all, those all have enabled me to take chances and to do a, do things um, that other people couldn't uh, mm-hmm. and to get to the place where I am in my, like I could have been ruined by some of the dumb decisions that I made. And like, <laughs> I don't mean like my parents had to bail me out of, out of jail, but it's certainly like they had like I knew yeah. I could make that dumb choice because right. and it were, all the dumb choices ended up working out, but that was luck. Again, the Russian roulette thing, right? It was luck that those dumb choices worked out. But, mm-hmm. uh, but, but like, other than that, like people will talk to you, like just ask for it, be curious and ask for advice and, and talk to people and don't overcomplicate the simple things. 
right? No, I, don't overcomplicate the do Yeah. Yep. That's Steve Jobs quote of like hire smart people and hire smart people and let them tell you what to do or whatever. You talked earlier about curiosity and, and about openness. And, and, and I think, you know, I use Amazon as an example. I think that if you, you know, I, I might've said this on one of my podcasts before or somewhere, but if anybody thinks that Jeff Bezos thought AWS was going to be the fucking thing when he started Amazon, <laughs> like, but AWS is like what makes Amazon Amazon today. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and like, so what happened was he hired smart people and, and he let, he said, Hey, smart people figure out this problem. Just like Russ Aborn did to you. You're smart. I mm -hmm. have a problem. Figure out the best way for me to solve this problem. And then when you did, and you came back to him and said, Hey, here's how I'm going to solve the problem. By the way, this is an interesting idea. He didn't say, fuck you, Jill, stay in your lane. Jeff didn't, mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos didn't say to the folks at Amazon, fuck you on this AWS thing, stay in your lane. I just need to figure out how to optimize our servers. He said, that's interesting. Let's learn more. Let's be curious. And like, let's find a way to test this and see if it works. Yeah. And I think that's uh, the rest of it's relatively easy. And that's actually why I have this podcast is I hope that more people kind of can wrap their hands around that concept of like, you just got to get past these things. Mm -hmm. You're going to fail. Like you're going to fail. It, and it's not going to turn out and success doesn't look the way you think it looks once you start trying it. And that's okay. And it's actually good. And the best part about it is you learn about what success is along the way. And you're right. Failure is a part of it. So yeah. that's how I think about it. Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> I no, might cut true. all of that because again, it's like not my, it's supposed <laughs> to be about you and I've spent too much time talking about me. No, I adore talking with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Here's my here's my last question for you then. Uh, and you just I really appreciate you sharing the time with me today. And and this was a really fun conversation. You almost made me cry at the beginning. You were talking about how great it was. I got Matt Vogers to cry when you were talking about your childhood. It it, it got me a little bit because um, it made me think about my parents and uh, yeah. what have um, So almost, almost, almost. That's it. That's <laughs> Because I, I define success as getting someone to cry on every episode of the podcast. It is. Uh, what, I know um, that. <laughs> what advice would you give? And this kind of dovetails into what you just me, but what advice would you give yourself for the first day of your career? That you are worthy, right? And you are smart. Um, and you will have impact. Like Stuart Little, you just have like the, yeah. you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. Right. Yeah. Stuart and Little I, is his name, right? Or no? I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I think I would. I mean, you know, I think we all do, right? Maybe we all don't, but there's a lot of worry being young. There's a lot of worries about, will I like this? Will I be good at it? Um, this might be interesting, but what if it doesn't work out? You know, and I, I think... I think growing up with that kind of struggle of the day-to-day, -day, making sure we were all taken care of kind of thing, we did it as a, as a family, but I think I did a lot less worrying about things, maybe in my professional career, that people would. You know, you said you haven't had a safety. Mm -hmm. I didn't, but but we had the same approach because of it, right? Mm -hmm, Which is mm -hmm. um, 
because it is going to be okay if you if you work hard and you do what's right even if you screw it up if you're coming from the right place chances are you're going to have some success at something and so i think it would be that but more more than anything is be self-aware and and be curious right and just find what you love to do because when you do that much of what you do won't be called work it won't yeah the self-awareness thing i mean i think that's uh, that's why i'm really i'm very passionate about this con- you know concept of like destigmatizing mental health and and just talking to folks and and being open and, and curious because i think it's a really, it's difficult for us to see ourselves objectively. I don't think any of us can. I certainly know that I can. Totally agree. And, and, yeah. and just being able like listening to other people and being open to what they have to say and taking it in yeah. and, and asking yourself sort of like, what if they're right? And what if they're wrong? I think that we kind of Sorry. fall too much on that one side of the spectrum, right? If we're very self-critical, it's always, well, what if they're right? That's the imposter syndrome. You assume Rejecting they're right. It out of, Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the spectrum, not being willing to bet you're wrong, like, oh, well, everybody else is wrong and I'm the only one who's right. Engage with both of those concepts and be like, what if they're right? What if they're wrong? It's probably somewhere in the middle. And then how do I deal with that? And um, yeah. Uh, well, Jill, thanks a lot. I think, I, it was really, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I think the only other thing would be like we talked about is the self-care piece. It's it's really important. You know, you can't be totally the best. Agree you until you take care of you (laughs) and that's on you to do right um and it is easy to get sidetracked if you do care about others and you know you put yourself ahead of other people but you do always have to be aware of that you've got to take care of you it's like how do you yeah how can you love anybody else if you can't love yourself kind of thing you know they yeah uh, when you're growing up i guess that's the thing it's Um, true well thanks for joining me this was a ton of fun i really enjoyed it how can people how can people learn more about you, um, about Freight Plus, uh, and, 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 and what have you? Yeah, so the best place to find me and Freight Plus is on LinkedIn, right? So Jill Clifford is my LinkedIn profile. Our uh, LinkedIn page for the business is Freight Plus. Website is FreightPlus.io. Well, you could just reach out to Ryan at the Founders Studio, and he can yeah, share. That's, yeah, there you go. That's a great, that's a good one. Thank at least you. you didn't say text. At least you didn't say text me like one of my guys, like no. Matt Vogler. Oh, that know. would be that good. One. He's like, <laughs> I'm like, how do you? I mean, I know you because you listen to the episode. But how how do people learn more about you? Oh, just text me. Text you, man. Everybody's gonna have your cell phone number. Um, That's terrific. So, anyway, we that's an open person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't think twice. He didn't think about it before he said it. But anyway, um, Jill, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks, and, Ryan. Um, Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Founder Studio. A couple quick things before you go. We're proudly hosted on the Logistics of Logistics Network. To hear more content from the industry's top leaders in supply chain and logistics, check out thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And until next time, onward and upward.